Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. This is your host, Martha Tyler. And this week, we are going to be talking about positive discipline. And to do that, I have brought on literally my teacher, um, Jill Stansbury. Hello, Jill. Hi. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, I took a positive discipline parent educator class um, with Jill, and it was really, really a wonderful class. So I'm, I'm so excited to share with my audience some of, some of what I learned. Um, wonderful. Well, before we start talking about positive discipline, let's hear a little bit about your journey, um, your background. So I like to say that I make a policy of never doing anything in my life that requires less than a paragraph of explanation. So Mm -hmm. I'll try to keep it brief, (laughs) but it's been a long and winding road. So um, I got, I went to college in South Florida at um, a place called New College, which is a public liberal arts college that doesn't give grades. So I've always kind of been interested in alternative styles of education and, and styles that are about empowering people. Right. So, um, and lifelong learning too. When I graduated from there, I had a friend who was a roommate and she was really interested in Montessori education. And that's what she was going to go off and do. And how you sometimes get into the Montessori teaching track is you're an assistant teacher first, and then you get sponsored to get trained. So, um, a job like this with the possibility for training came up, which was kind of her dream job. Um, and she had decided to move to Atlanta. So I applied for the job and I got it. And I started out in a school that used, um, a similar based on the same philosophy of this guy called Alfred Adler that I'll talk to you about later. And uh, it was called redirecting children's behavior Hmm. that they used. And so the parents got trained, the teachers got trained, and then that just was the philosophy of the whole school. So I was really like, Oh, all Montessori schools are like this. And I later found out that no, that's not the case that they're not, but I really appreciate it because I was a baby teacher. You know, I certainly had, I had a couple of nieces and nephews. I enjoyed spending time with them, but dealing with whole groups of kids is a totally different experience. So mm-hmm. before we got trained, 
I like to say I would sometimes find myself underneath a pile of giggling children. And that was fun and everything, but it sure did make moving groups of kids around kind of hard. Right. So, um, you know, just a few, a, a bigger understanding of philosophy about like, let's keep it fun and relational and heart centered. But also here are some strategies that you can use to effectively get kids to cooperate with you was uh, like a life altering experience for yes. me in my first year in the classroom. So um, I then moved to working at another Montessori school with older kids. I worked in, in middle school for a while. And oh, they, I went to a Montessori middle school and there's, they're somewhat rare. So yes, that's they are. They get, they're more and more common now than they used to. They're even high, many high schools now. Yeah. Um, but they used positive discipline and the director was one of these people who really walked their talk. And she had us get trained every single year for three years. So that, like everybody owned it in their bones. And, um, and then after that, I ended up working as an art teacher in a school that wasn't a Montessori school with middle school and high school kids. And they didn't have a program like this. And I was like, oh, it would be really beneficial. And it's kind of expensive to bring someone to your school. So I decided to go through the training so that I could then become a trainer and bring it wherever I went. And then I got the opportunity to get into school administration there and um, and then brought it with me to whatever schools I went to after that. I, I really love working with parents. Mm -hmm. And so the interaction of just like, I'm your unconditional supporter here to learn on, alongside you with your kids, which is kind of the lens that positive discipline works through is so satisfying to me as yes. a person you know it's one of my favorite interactions to have you know in my in the work world so that's I've kind of gotten the opportunity to do that over the last couple of decades since I've become a trainer um, and my career took me to China for a while and I've now I'm back in the states kind of doing training full-time I've always had the opportunity to do this um, either as a school administrator in my last job, I had, I was something called a social and emotional learning specialist. Mm -hmm. So I got to support kind of be a coach for parents and teachers, as well as teach social and emotional learning, including these kinds of ideas to about um, 14 different classrooms of kids from three to six years old. So I've been out there in the world <laughs> doing it with real live humans on a couple of different continents and really across different cultures both within and without the United States in in different socioeconomic stratas as well. That's amazing. And I I really did love what you said about, you know, working alongside parents with this unconditional support and learning with the parents as well. Um because I, I do think that that's, you know, a lot of the work of nannies is that we're there as, as supports and, um, and the more tools that nannies gather as we go through our career to be helpful in that, I think is, is just wonderful. So, um, I, yeah, I just, that phrasing, I, I loved it. Um, well, wonderful. Well, let's talk about positive discipline. Um, so we have had an episode about positive discipline before, but it was a live show and I didn't know as much as I know now. And so I'm really excited to revisit this topic. Um, 
through the lens of actually having a positive discipline educator on here. Cause I've always been curious about it, right? Because I, I see how well it works. Whenever I try a positive discipline method, it's always, um, and not always cause kids are kids, but it, it's really, really helpful. Um, I will say it's always better than my uneducated efforts that right. I will say. <laughs> well, and I like to share, it's not a magic pill. Right. right. So I really appreciated what you just said about like, uh, not always. Right. So, you know, kids are different on different days. They're different throughout their life cycle. And so the idea is that if we give you a lot of tools, then you have a toolbox to go to when they shift. Um, or when you get a new kid in your family, because different temperaments are just have different needs. So that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, and I have to say, once I got into it, even before I became a trainer every year. I did something to refresh myself. Either I read a book or I went to a training, something like that, because it's not the way I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so it's not my, my brain is wired to do the other thing, um, which we're going to talk about in a little while, which is to, you know, tell people what to do, blame and shame, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. Well, let's start out with what is positive discipline? (laughs) Sounds like a great idea. So positive discipline is a philosophy that prevents caretakers with a way of communicating uh, and tools to discipline kids that teach them long-term life skills, as opposed to behaving the way that the adult wants them to in the moment, right? Like fixing bad behavior. So um, the focus becomes not on this moment right here, but how, what is this moment right here teaching you about how to be a human and then an adult? you know, in 20 years, what are you, what are you learning right now? And so these teeny tiny little interactions are the things that teach kids either to be, to look outside of them for direction in life or to look inside of themselves, to be interdirected and know what their own internal motivations are. So um, the guys who, who's this whole thing is founded on is the work of two Austrian psychiatrists by the name of Alfred Adler and Rudolf Dreicher. And they're from the last century. Their central idea is that people are primarily motivated by their desire to feel like they belong and they're important right now in the present, right? We're, we're pack animals. And so I know my place in the pack and that the pack cares about whether I'm there or not. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of different than a, a peer, a very famous peer of Alfred Adler's, whose name was Sigmund Freud, right? He thought, The traumas that happened to you in the past were the primary motivators of your behavior in the present. And Adler wouldn't deny that they might have some influence, but again, he's gonna bring it right back here to actually, I wanna feel like I'm part of the group right now. And if I don't have that, then something feels off to me. So um, misbehavior in this particular model is a mistaken understanding about how to feel like I belong and I'm important right now. And they've created these tools that help you kind of get inside the child's world, see it from their perspective, figure out what their misunderstanding is, and then get into some proactive and um, responses that will give them new experiences, which will hopefully result in new behaviors that teach them how to be internally motivated. I like to say that What it provides for you is a less crazy making experience on the daily while you deal with the constant balancing act 
that is parenting or caretaking because gosh, is it hard work? <laughs> you know, you literally are having hundreds of interactions all day long and, you know, and those all don't go perfectly. Right. And that's part of it too, is kind of embracing mistakes, recovering from them and using that to create more connection between yourself and the young people that you work with. Um, and that in the long run increases belonging and significance. It's so weird that in a way, mistakes are the foundation of intimate, deep relationships. That is, yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before, but that that is weird and also wonderful because it, you don't have to be perfect to be accepted. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that that, I know when I was brought up, I, I, I have, I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. And so, <laughs> um, and so I, I love that it's shifting away from that. Um, this idea of if you're not, you know, perfect all the time, then you're not worthwhile <laughs> as a human. And that's just, right. I mean, when you say it out loud, it sounds so wild to say, but that is kind of the, the subconscious message that a lot of us were taught when we were growing up. So, yeah. And I think and that's one of the reasons I'm, I've sought out new methods of, of helping raise this next generation. Right. And I also like for me also raising myself. Right. <laughs> so yes. Yes. There are huge costs to perfectionism, to your mental well-being and your physical well-being too, because life is already stressful. And then you add all of this other stress on top of it. And that makes you really busy. Mm -hmm. And busyness is the, is the enemy of connection, right? When we're busy, it's so hard for us to slow down, look children in the eye, take a breath and be with them in whatever they're going through. And the with part, you know, that's where we experience connection, belonging, and like people care about us, like we're significant and important to them. Right. Yes. So um, in positive discipline, we often say, be kind, but firm. Can you help listeners understand what kind but firm means? Certainly. So, um, you know, a lot of times people, let's say people grew up in a home that was really authoritarian, where there was lots of punishment, there was lots of blame and shame for whatever. And the adult's way it was my way or the highway. And, and that's how it went. So that's a really firm household, right? right? And maybe not always so kind because the blame and shame part is often, but not always often rolled into that package. So um, that would be a really firm household, a really kind household or like an excessively kind household. We might call that a permissive household um, is where everybody's kind and nice, but there really aren't any limits and there's no follow through. And when that happens, then kids don't have any limits. They feel unsettled and oftentimes disrespectful things happen to adults. Now in any household, disrespectful things can happen to adults, right. you know, <laughs> like these are young children. It is developmentally appropriate for them to be experimenting with their words, experimenting with their physical power in the world. And by that, I mean hitting. So they mm -hmm. might be unkind to you verbally. They might hit you. And those things are shocking 
sometimes embarrassing if they happen in public, but they're developmentally appropriate for zero to six year olds. So um, they're kids and they haven't fully developed their ability to regulate like brain wise, but we're adults and we have. So, um, so to figure out how to be kind mm -hmm. whenever kids are struggling with things that are developmentally appropriate um, and then firm at the same time and setting those limits. So, you know, if a child is being disrespectful to you, then you might say, oh, I, you sound really angry. And I've talked to you before about how I want to be spoken to right now. This doesn't feel good for me. So I'm going to take a break. Mm -hmm. um, and you can come and find me over here when you feel like you're ready to speak kindly, but I, I, I'm not raising my voice. Right. I'm not escalating. I'm not punishing kids with my tone. So th th that's very different than cut it out. Don't talk to me like that. Don't you talk back. Right. Right. So keeping it in this neutral place for a variety of reasons has better impacts long-term <laughs> um, both on the kids and on you, right? When your blood pressure spikes oh, all day long because of your interactions and how you're responding to the kids, that's not good for your health either. So we say kindness is respectful to the adult. I mean, excuse me, is respectful to the child and firmness is respectful to the adult. So I'm not saying make some like be, ooh, Mr. Rogers, you know, super <laughs> kindly voice or anything like that, but kind of towards a neutral tone. Right, right. Yes. And yeah, and I have found that the more the more it can be a neutral tone that is genuine to who I am, um, the better. Um, so there are, you know, certainly it is in my wheelhouse to have a very kind, bright tone. Um, but I just I want listeners to know that if, if that's not genuine that to who you are, um, then just that neutral tone is is the most important because the kids will sniff out if it's not genuine. They're very smart. They are. They're so smart. Um, they're so good at connecting with you. It's amazing. It's what they're wired to do. Yeah. Sort of yeah. How they build their personalities and become bigger humans. Right. Right. Um, so in that explanation, you mentioned um, a couple different parenting styles. So authoritarian and permissive. Can you talk a little bit about um, the, the parenting styles and where positive discipline does fit into those? Sure. The other kind, there, there are two more parenting styles. And this comes out of the, um, the research, some social science research about parenting styles and long-term outcomes for kids' mental health and well-being. And um, the other parenting style, or one of them, is called neglectful. And that happens in a home where parents are not fully present, either physically or emotionally, for reasons like um, addiction, mental health issues. They're uh, forced to work all the time in order to for the family to survive so they're literally not there things like that so in a neglectful home you know there's all, lots of freedom and not necessarily a whole lot of order at all because there's no adult present in one way or the other to set limits and follow through because when 
even adults, right? We all feel better when we know where the limits are. We might test those limits, but when we know where the limits are, we feel much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. The other style is often called um, authoritative, which is both kind, that's the kind and firm at the same time. I like to call that a cooperative style mm -hmm. where we're really focused on collaborating with our children to do things that are in the best interest of our family, as opposed to coercing them into doing what we want when we want it, how we want it. Right. Um, and the research sort of suggests that in different cultural communities, multiple of these work or don't work with good long-term outcomes for kids. Um, but the authoritative one, what I was calling the collaborative one is kind of lines up best with mental health outcomes. So oftentimes what we'll do is we'll get really, we're like, these kids are making me crazy. And we'll, I like to say, well, we drop the hammer on them, right? right? And we get really, really, really firm and maybe not so kind. Mm -hmm. And then we start to feel guilty because kids are like, mom is mean, blah, 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 blah. Or dad is mean. And then we'll switch up to the permissive part and we'll start to let things slide that are not necessarily respectful to ourselves. And so this swinging back and forth actually can lead to long-term anxiety and depression for children as they grow up. So many of us who were raised in authoritative, authoritarian households, we do that swing because we don't want to be like our own parents because we found that experience to be harmful to us. And so to find the middle path where we're able to do both at the same time takes practice, but it's, it's doable. And for the mental health of, of kids, it has the best outcomes. Yes, that was such a wonderful explanation. Um, and yeah, I do. I have seen that pattern even in myself of like, mm -hmm. you know, you want, you want that control <laughs> as a, as a caregiver. And then you are like, no, 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 I can't do it like this. This is bad. And then you swing too far in the other direction. And, and I can see that having um, long-term anxiety because then it's like, well, this was fine yesterday. It's crazy making to, to have the rules switch out on you mm -hmm. like that all the time. So yeah. Who I, will, who will the adult be today? And right. That, you're right. That is, does make you anxious. No one yes, anxious. for sure. Um, you mentioned a little bit of um, evidence about um, like research around those parenting styles. Is there evidence that positive discipline works? Is yeah. it been researched? So um, Rudolf Reichers, who was a student of Alfred Adler, kind of the founder of this philosophy, his daughter runs a research lab in the Midwest. And there's a very big study involving um, surveying parents when they take the parenting courses at the beginning and the end. And they consistently have gotten good outcomes that it does help parents to shift their parenting styles from um, these more authoritarian methods to, or permissive method, methods to these authoritative ones. So there's a growing body of research. There are lots of people who are doing graduate studies in the course that we were in, <laughs> that yeah. you joined me with. There was somebody in the class who was taking the course so that she, in Turkey, so that oh. she could do research um, with parents for her PhD. 
Oh, I didn't even know that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is, I, I love that it's, it's been researched somewhat and I love that it's kind of like a new frontier of, of research opportunities. Um, and I do, I really, everyone who has um, in my circles, who has encountered <laughs> positive discipline seems to want more and more. So that, you know, anecdotally, it's, it's doing really well in nanny circles as well. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay, I'm sold on positive discipline listeners I already was but um, <laughs> but if if a listener is thinking to themselves oh wow this sounds great where can they where can they start sure well there are a couple of great books uh, about young children in particular um, one is positive discipline for preschoolers and there's another one for called positive discipline the first three years and you know, you get lots of information, lots of stories, and then tools, and an introduction to the, this philosophy, you know, well, what is a mistaken goal? How do I figure out what it is? And where do I access resources for these tools that you folks are talking about? So those are both two really great um, books to read. There are a number of people out there who have podcasts themselves <laughs> that are positive discipline focused that, you know, you could just search and come up with. Um, them as well. And then the positivediscipline.com has a number of free resources too that yeah. you can access handouts and um, short videos and things like that. Yes. Wonderful. And I, I do think that um, it is like you mentioned at the beginning that you're, you've consistently renewed yourself. So even if, you know, a listener has started on their positive discipline journey, I would encourage you to continue to learn, continue to read about it. I mean, that's literally what I'm doing as well. So we're all on this journey together. Um, yeah. So um, how could, how could a nanny, do you have any, any um, tips for how a nanny can start to incorporate positive discipline in their day? I mean, I know that they need to, to learn and we can't teach all of positive discipline in this one episode, but um, do you have some, some little hints or tricks? Absolutely. So uh, I would say the number one tool that helped me when I was suddenly faced with a room full of four-year-olds for the first time and having to do things like help them get their shoes on and get th things outside and, you know, when they are being young humans who might be cranky or those kinds of things, this tool called limited choices changed my world. And so whenever you give kids a limited choice, you only give them choices that you're actually willing to do and that you can follow through on. Um, and so for instance, a child is um, distracted and not heading towards the door to put on their shoes, you can say. Would you like to put on your shoes by yourself or would you like some help, right? So there's the limited choice. And something about our brains that gets us really focused in around this particular set of behaviors, you know, the next thing to do before I get myself out of the door. So that's my like number one tool I always teach everybody about because it just made my life so much nicer. And these, you know, we kind of look a lot at brain research in positive discipline and then share, these are ways that you can communicate 
that work well with the brain. And that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one that I think is really helpful is we call it asking versus telling. So a lot of times we'll say to kids, put your coat on, put your shoes on. uh, It's time to go outside. So that's telling kids what to do. When we think about that long-term goal of helping kids develop their own inner director so that they can function well when they're adults and when we're not around, we want to teach them what questions to ask themselves so that that happens inside their heads and they begin to get themselves ready to go. So instead of saying, put your shoes on, say, oh, we're going to go outside and play. What do we need to do first? Mm -hmm. And then we'll get the response, put on our coats or depending on the season of the year like that. So asking kids to do things as opposed to telling them um, is one of those things to help um, develop their, their internal voice. I will say also added bonus of asking versus telling is that now my nanny kid helps me remember all of the things that we need to take um, because we've practiced working through it. And so there will be times that we will be about to leave and she will say something like, do you, Marfa, do you have your keys? And I'll be like, you know what? I do not have my keys. Thank you so much for reminding me. Um, And then I'll go get my key. You know, I mean, she's so good at it. And I, it is because we talk about it all the time, you know, so you trained her her in self-talk and now she's independent in self-talk and supporting you. (laughs) Supporting me. It's wonderful. That's the beautiful thing, you know, in, uh, in a, uh, a caretaker, a caretaking unit. We are a unit, right? We are strong, stronger because there's more than one of us as well. Um, And then I would say another one that we use as our, really our number one tool for helping shift behavior is encouragement. Mm -hmm. And so and we like to say encouragement is different than praise. Praise is really not specific to the child or behavior praise is like specific to did you please me right so oh you're such a good girl thank you for doing exactly what I asked those kinds of things that's praise but encouragement actually teaches kids and it trains them to focus on important life skills so encouragement might look at like after the child puts on their shoes you did that by yourself way to go right so you're encouraging independence you can even start to use these words around character traits you know, you worked on that over and over again. That takes a lot of patience. When you keep working on something over and over again, that's called persistence. Mm -hmm. So using that to help kids focus on behaviors and when they've been struggling with something and they're learning a new skill, your encouragement, your positive noticing helps them to internalize that as a valuable thing. Right. Yes. And, and I, Yes. Changing, uh, shifting away from praise has been a huge game changer in my nanny game because yeah, it, it, (laughs) having, you know, being a recovering perfectionist, having grown up craving praise, it is, it's such a, um, a wonderful shift because they're not after, um, my opinion at all. It's they're doing their own thing. And I have a specific observation about what they're doing. And then they 
feel proud. And I point that out too, you know, like you, you must be so proud or, or things like that. So it is, that's a, that's a really good, um, shift to start making, um, that will pay off. I had a parent at the last school that I worked at who took the parenting course come in and said, I haven't made the shift from encouragement to praise, but my kid is literally looking at me every time they do something. Yeah. Is this right? And I realized the monster that I've made. It's a lot of work to be responsible for somebody else's behavior outside of yourself. So sometimes positive discipline seems like a lot of work up front, but then it provides freedom as kids are able to direct themselves. You don't have to do it so much. Yes. Yes. I, that's a, that's a good point too. Hey nannies, I wanted to tell you about a new app that has really changed my nanny game. It is called Nannyist. And Nannyist is a new free web application that's designed specifically for nannies, which like we never get our own stuff. We're usually using like parent created apps and things like that. So this is really, really exciting. With the Nannyist app, you can capture and share real-time care updates with parents in an easy-to-use post format that's sort of like your own private Instagram. I know that a lot of times I'm taking up a lot of memory on my phone, taking pictures and sending them throughout the day. So this is a really great way to send them and then get them off of your phone. Um, And parents really want to know what their kids are doing. And I find that a picture really is a thousand words. You don't have time to type out everything. So this is a great way to include parents in your nanny day. And it's intended to formalize or supplement any verbal updates that you're already providing. Uh, Nannyist also has professional tools that help you manage the business side of your career. So there's a performance review script, which is so helpful, and a time entry interface and a place to log your mileage and receipts. So all of that you don't have to think about. You just put it in the app and then you can access it when you're ready to like get reimbursed at the end of the week or the month or however you do it, which is great. So to learn more about Nannyist and to create your free account, that's right, listener, I just said the word free account, visit nannyist.com. That's N-A-N-N-I-E-S-T.com. Check it out. So uh, how can positive discipline help with teaching, especially young children, because many nannies work with, you know, that toddler or infant to preschool with toddler in the middle of their age. Um, so how can it help with teaching emotional regulation to especially young children? Well, I think the first thing that it does is it helps us understand the process of emotional and self-regulation. So self-regulation in the brain doesn't fully come online until kids are seven years old. So that's one of the reasons why we might be, you know, extra, not as in control of our words and our hands as we learn about the power of our bodies and the things that come out of our mouth. Also, it's because our brain is not fully there yet. So young children have to do what's called co-regulation. They look to the adult to see if everything is okay and, and for comfort. So and they have to do that hundreds and hundreds of times. 
until they're able to self-regulate. So knowing that that's the process uh, helps adults to be more patient as opposed to like, what's wrong with you, kid? Why can't you figure this out? You know, why aren't you more like an adult? Well, their brain is actually different. Um, and I also like to remind people, a two-year-old may have only been speaking for a few months. A three-year-old may have only had language for a year. A four-year-old may have only had it for two years. This is a very new experience for them. Right. And there are many skills that they're gonna need lots of practice with and lots of modeling. So that's the other part of it is what skills are they missing? Mm -hmm. So you can notice those skills, you know, be, we like to say meta-conscious, super aware yourself, and then teach them, you know, you can heighten the repetition for them by doing role plays and things like that. So, um, and then we also create in positive discipline, something called positive timeout where we teach kids about their brains, that there are times when we get upset that we're not able to um, do our best learning or be a friend very good. And so we need to go calm down so that we're able to do that. And, um, and there are lots of ways to calm down. So in positive discipline, we might make a special place to go where there are nice relaxing things. You know, we, just the act of holding someone's hand creates a huge release of serotonin in their brain. And so that might be what makes a child comfortable. So you just work with them. And we, in positive timeout, we never force anybody to go to the self-calming area. It's always an option. Because for some people, it's going to be more comfortable to be by you or to have pressure, you know, like somebody rub their back or something like that, or to have you go there with them. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we'll encourage caretakers when you get upset to model going to a calm down space. Because again, modeling repetition, those are the top two ways that our early childhood friends learn. Yes, yes. And I, I think, especially <laughs> sometimes nannies, I think get nervous about um, admitting that they are overwhelmed. Um, and so I think mm -hmm. by saying something along the lines of, you know what, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now or, um, or sad or, or angry or however you're feeling, but um, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. I'm going to go into the living room and take a few breaths. I'll be back <laughs> um, is, is huge. Uh to show a child that, that that's okay. That's okay behavior because some children, their parents aren't modeling that for them. Um, and, and so to model that for them, that even adults need that calm down time is huge. So don't think of it as a weakness. Think of it as right. a and, and not only is it not a weakness, it's an important social and emotional learning tool. So there's a applied neuroscience researcher by the name of Daniel Siegel, who has this little rhymey phrase that makes things easy to remember, which is name it to tame it. So just the act of naming a feeling activates a particular side of your brain that helps you to calm down. Mm -hmm. um, and kids, they don't have the vocabulary for feelings unless you're modeling. When my face looks like this, this is how, you know, the feeling that goes along with this. So oftentimes as and, you know, kind of scaffolding, breaking down into teeny tiny steps, that ability to recognize 
um, a feeling that comes up in your body and then name it is you look at a kid's face and you say to them, oh, you look angry right now and see how they respond, right? So they're learning when my face is like this, the name of that is angry. Um, and it also helps them, it models a skill of kind of the ability to imagine what's happening in somebody else's brain, which is called mindsight. And then, um, and kids never learn that, right? It's basically the foundation for compassion and empathy, unless people are able to do that for and with them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I thought of it exactly like that before. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your favorite things that you've learned through your work with positive discipline? Well, I mean, like there are just some concepts I like, I love the origin of words mm. and, um, in, in the positive discipline materials, they talk about how discipline actually comes from the Latin root, um, this, of the, the word disciple. And so, and then they go on to say that disciple is a, the follower of a leader. So when we are disciplining children, we, I like to say, we have to be leaders worth following, right? Yeah. So if we build a strong connection with our children, that's based on respect. When we ask them to do things with us inside the family, they're likely to cooperate and we won't have to coerce them or force them through threats, physical or non-physical or by giving them rewards to do things. So it's all about this idea of connecting with our kids. There is correction, but the connection part always happens first. Right. Yep. Connection before correction. Um, Yeah. I also want to get back to that thing about social skills. So sometimes with young children, we think they're, they're being bad and they just don't understand. So that whole thing about taking time for training is was a big eye opener for me and really I think was the final thing that got me all the way away from blame and shame you know making kids feel bad to so that they'll do better which nobody does right no. so I, so then instead of saying what can I do to fix this kid I say what skill is this kid missing mm-hmm. and so and then think about what would what, how can I model it? How can I get them to practice it and repeat it and work with the other caretakers in their life so that we're all doing it at the same time. So back to that team thing, mm-hmm. the team approach, the kid in the middle and learning, right? The purpose is for them to learn as opposed to feel bad to do better. Right. Right. Yep. Because it, it doesn't end up making you do better. Um, it makes you do worse. And then if you do make progress, you doubt it. So it's, um, yeah, it's important. That's, those are really wonderful things you've learned. Um, so every child is different. We kind of talked, touched on this at the beginning. Um, but have you experienced, uh, working with children that this philosophy doesn't work well with? Um, I would say that I've experienced working with children who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And I think that they would be struggling in any situation that they had, um, regardless of the philosophy of the school. And so as I work with struggling children for the last two decades, what I have realized is there are usually three things happening in early childhood when kids are consistently struggling kind of a little bit outside of what the average kid 
struggles with. There is a lack of skills. There is an emerging special need or their family system was under a lot of pressure mm -hmm. and needed additional support. And so that sort of helped me to think about, oh, misbehavior is a communication about needs. Right. And that's again, a really different way of looking at things. And so when I sit down and work with families about the behavior struggle, often what comes out is the family system is under a lot of stress. And then, so how do I get that family more support, tie them in with community um, providers and things like that? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I love that um, the getting curious about what skill or skills are, are not solidified or, or not there at all, depending on, you know, where they are. Um, that looking at it that way, I think is so helpful. Um, because yeah, there's no blame there, <laughs> um, right. on the child at all. It's, you know, they don't, they weren't born knowing <laughs> how to do everything. None of us were. So I, I love that getting curious about, Ooh, I wonder, I wonder where this is coming from what skill needs to fill in the gaps here and what I loved about my last job was it was also part of my job to then go play with them to practice these skills <sighs> so like any social skill you can practice that in the context of a make-believe game with you know cars in a garage or you know <laughs> stuffed animals or any of these kinds of things so as caretakers you know once you realize where the gaps are there are tons of really fun ways to practice skills that kids are missing. Yes, yes. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, books and, and resources. Um, is there anything else that if a listener wants to just learn more, is there anything, any other places you can think of that they can start to learn more? There's a Facebook group. Um, so if you just put in positive discipline uh, and, there, I have, um, I didn't put this in the resources, but I have a, a monthly like calendar of events and I usually have a write-up and sometimes it's about positive discipline, but sometimes it's also about um, mindfulness meditation in general. It's about wellness, whether um, and emotional health kind of stuff Wonderful. too. And can I plug my website? Yes, please. So yes. That's at www.mindfulsel.net. So that's SEL stands for social and emotional learning solutions. Um, yeah. Wonderful. And that will be down in the show notes. So listeners do not fear if you are driving or doing your dishes or whatever, um, you don't need to write it down. It's down there. Just click on it and you'll be swept away <laughs> on a magical journey. Um, wonderful. Is there, is there anything, is there anything else um, that you'd like to talk about today? I know that, I mean, you know, there are books and books and books about positive discipline, but um, is there anything else you'd like to touch on today? Um, I think I, I, I want to share a little bit, a story. Um, the, the thing that you said about, you know, the child is now helping you. So a lot of times when we teach kids about, um, their brains and what happens when they get really upset we, in positive discipline, we call it flipping your lid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, <laughs> buyer beware, right? So 
kids will start to notice when you're flipping your lid mm -hmm. and they also might suggest <laughs> make the recommendation that you go to the calm down area and you know and that's <laughs> a great moment <laughs> to practice grace and to honor the wisdom of the children that you serve as well so um yeah that was just a thought that i wanted to share that's i love that and and yeah it is it's um it's really amazing when they start reflecting at you as well. Um, we recently started talking about how different emotions feel in our body. So we've, we've been able to mostly recognize them now, but now we're looking for those uh, physical signs. And so, you know, we talked about how when your face gets red, that can mean that you're angry or, um, or things like that. Or if, you know, you go really pale, that that might mean you're surprised or scared or um, something like that. And so, but my face, so I, we were playing like a game that involved running and my face got really red. <laughs> and one of the, the girls was like, Marsa, are you angry? Your face is red. And I was like, oh no, no, no. And so then we had, you know, we had this opportunity to talk about how other things also can make your face red, like playing superhero and sweeping children along <laughs> in a superhero <laughs> thing for right. down the hall for 30 minutes. So awesome pattern recognition by them. Yes, yes, it was. It was. Um well, wonderful. Well, um, I know that we did talk about your website, but is there is there anything else um, that you would like listeners to know about how to get in touch with you or how to find out more about you in particular? Um, I also am on Facebook at Mindful SEL. Um, I have a Teaching Parenting the Positive Discipline Way course coming up in the late summer. It's Fridays from um, 7 to 9 15 p.m. Central Standard Time. It'll be July 30th through September 3rd, 2021. And you can find out about that on my website, www.mindfulsel.net backslash TP, short for teaching parenting. Nice. Yes. Gladly endorse. <laughs> take, take classes with Jill. She's really, really a wonderful instructor. Um, so yes, if you are, if you're thinking about it and you're like, I don't know, do it. Just do it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will. It's just, like I said, it's a, it's a recipe for less crazy in your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's a great journey to be on with people who, you know, who care about kids and families and, and a healthy society. Yes. Yes. One, one little story, and then we'll get to, to your story for the end. But um, in class, there was, there was one night, um, and I had, like, kind of had a hectic day. And it just, you know, one of those days that I came into class with a lot going on. And we did um, the, an exercise where the caregiver asks for a hug. Um, and I was playing the child. Um, and so I was supposed to have kind of like this tantrum overwhelm. Um, and so I got to just like release all of my stuff in class and then have someone, you know, even over zoom offer me a hug was just like, 
I don't know. It was really, really lovely. So you also get some some healing in there as well. Um, that's an added bonus on top of what you're getting for your career and and to make uh, life a little less crazy with kids. So um, yeah, yeah, because the communication skills that are effective with young children are also effective in your adult relationships too. So I would I would say it definitely has helped helped me over the course of my life to become a better communicator. Yes, for sure. Well, we end each episode with a cute, fun story and Jill has brought one. Okay, so um, I teach about uh, positive discipline and I also teach about mindfulness. And in my last job, I got to do that with all 120 kids, and, which I really was like, again, so they paid me to play with children and then they paid me to meditate with children. I, I really enjoyed that job a lot. So um, uh, one of the things that I teach kids is about how their brains work. And I alluded that to, uh, to that a little bit before, but I'll talk about it now. Like if you think about your hand as a brain and the part right behind your forehead is your prefrontal cortex. And that's where you do all your logical thinking and also where you monitor and manage your relationships. And then deep in the middle of your brain are these two pink almond shaped things called your amygdala. And that's what keeps you safe. Um, so it's your fight, flight, or freeze response. And then underneath that, there are these two kind of C-shaped things right below your ears called your um, hippocampus. And that's where you store all your long-term learning and your emotion-filled memories. So when you get really upset, your prefrontal cortex stops working. So if you imagine your hand was shut in a fist and you opened it up on the inside um, is where your amygdala and your hippocampus will be. Your prefrontal cortex stops managing relationships and practicing logical thinking. And that fight or flight part of your brain takes over. So I taught the kids these different parts of their brain. So prefrontal cortex, amygdala, and hippocampus. I also had like nice kid-friendly names for them, the security guard, the, the leader, and the, um, the memory saver. And so this one girl went home and she started talking about the parts of her brain to her mom. And her mom was like, what are you talking about? Because she's saying like, well, my hippocampus, I can't store things in my hippocampus right now. <laughs> and so anyway, so she knew all of these different parts of her brain. And she was able to tell her mom about it. Her mom was just like, what is happening? And it was the summer in between her four-year-old year and her five-year-old year. So anyway, her mom thought that was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread that her kid could hold on to these really you know, multi-syllable long-term, I mean, uh, long terms and, um, you know, in, in her second language even. So if we make things be um, really concrete in age-appropriate ways for our youngest kids, they can learn really advanced stuff and, um, and freak the adults out in their life. <laughs> right, right. In a good way. Yes, yes. I, one of my favorite things is to teach kids long words because I think that they're so fun to hear them say. So we've recently been working on onomatopoeia because oh, yeah, <laughs> we're reading word. a lot of books with onomatopoeia in it. And so the English teacher and me took over and told them. Um, and so they now are like, Marsa, is that onomatopoeia? <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. So that is, that's so um, 
fun and and such a a one I mean that all those children that you've taught that to what a wonderful gift um besides just knowing the terms um to really understand how their brains work is such a wonderful gift right and I think to me that's what mindfulness is it's like here's the owner's manual to your brain (laughs) and nobody taught us taught me that when I was young you know I didn't learn any of that stuff until I was older and it was it's been an ongoing process and, and the research that's come out in the last 15 years right. is amazing too. Yes, very much so. Well, Jill, thank you, thank you, thank you. This was wonderful. You're welcome. And again, thanks for having me and listeners out there. Thank you so much for taking the time to hear what I have to say. Yeah, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. I love providing Chronicles of Nania to you at no cost. So if you love this podcast, please consider donating by clicking the support the show link in the show notes. I also totally understand if a donation isn't the way you can show your support right now. Another excellent way to support the podcast is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help other nannies and caregivers around the world find Chronicles of Nannia. Also, if you love the show, tell your friends. Word of mouth is so helpful to get the word out about the podcast. And truly, thank you for listening. It really means the world to me. The Chronicles of Nania is produced and hosted by Martha Tyler. Artwork by Noni Blastodon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudios.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.